are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 294. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 126 to 134. 126. Through this privilege, and that of the continual and abstractive vision of the divinity mentioned before, the Most Blessed Mary was made so godlike, and her operations and faculties were raised so far above human conception that it will be impossible to understand them in this mortal life or to attain of them a proportionate idea, as is possible for us concerning other things. Nor can I find words to explain the little which could be made clear to me. After she returned from heaven, she was entirely renewed and transformed in regard to the use of her senses. For on the one hand, she was absent from her divine Son, in whom she had worthily employed them when he was sensibly present. On the other hand, she felt and perceived him resting in her heart, whereon all her attention was centered. From the day on which she descended, she made a new treaty with her eyes and exercised a new dominion and sway over them of not permitting any terrestrial and visible images to enter, except those that were necessary for the government of the church and for the discharge of her duties. She made no use of these images, nor were they necessary to her for conversing or meditating interiorly and they were merely stored in her memory and understanding. Her interior meditations and contemplations were actuated by infused images, and by the science connected with the abstract vision of the divinity, after the manner in which the saints know and see in God, and through vision, or knowledge of the creature in themselves. In this manner our queen understood the will of God in all her works, and she did not make use of her sight in knowing or learning any of these things although she used her eyes to see where she was going, or with whom she was conversing in all the sincerity of heart. 127. The sense of hearing she made use of somewhat more frequently, for it was necessary to listen to the faithful and to the apostles, in which they reported of the state of the souls of the church and of its needs and spiritual advancement, in order to answer them and give them her instruction and counsels. But she governed her sense of hearing so completely that it was affected by no sound or word, which disagreed in the least with the holiness and perfection of her state, or which were not necessary for the advance of charity toward her fellow men. 
Of her sense of smell she made no use for terrestrial odors, or of the common objects of that sense, but by the intervention of the angels she was regaled by the celestial perfumes, which were perceived by her in praise of the Creator. She experienced a great change also in the sense of trade, for she was made aware that after her sojourn in heaven she could live without earthly nourishment, though that was not commanded her, but left to her own free will. Therefore she ate very seldom and sparingly, and this only at times when St. Peter or St. John asked her, or in order to avoid astonishment in others at not seeing her eat. But when she thus, in obedience or in humility, tasted food, she perceived not the common taste or savor of it, so that her sense reacted not upon it any more than if she had eaten some apparent or glorified substance. Her touch likewise conformed to this kind of change, for through it she perceived little of that which she had touched, and had in it no sensible delight. But she felt the contact of the sacramental species in her heart, to which she ordinarily attended with the feelings of admirable sweetness and joy. 128. All these privileges in regard to the senses were granted her at her petition, for she consecrated all of them and her faculties anew to the greater glory of the Most High, and for producing in her the plenitude of virtue, holiness, and the most eminent perfection. And though through her whole life, from the first instant of her immaculate conception, she had complied with all the requirements of a faithful servant, Matthew 25.20, and of a prudent dispenser of the plenitude of her graces and gifts, as appears from the whole course of this history. Yet after she ascended to heaven with her son, she was perfected in all things, and was furnished by the divine omnipotence with new faculties of operating. Though she was yet a pilgrim, since she did not yet enjoy the beatific vision as a comprehensor, nevertheless the operations of her senses partook of, and were rather similar to those of the saints glorified in body and soul than to the operations of the other viators. There is no other way of comparing this state so singular, so blessed and divine, in which our great Queen and Lady returned from heaven to govern the Holy Church. 129. To this exalted activity of the sensible faculties correspond her interior wisdom and knowledge, for she knew the decrees of the Most High Will in all that she wished and was obliged to do. In what time, in what manner, in what order and circumstance each work was to be accomplished, with what words, and under what arrangements, so that in this she was not excelled even by the angels who assist us without ever losing sight of the Lord. The great queen practiced the virtues with such high wisdom that she excited their admiration, for they saw that no other mere creature could exceed her or could arrive at the summit of perfection of holiness, which they saw her attain. One of the things that filled her with highest joy was the adoration and reverence exhibited by the supernal spirits to the Lord sacramentally present in her bosom. The same was also shown by the saints, whenever she ascended into heaven, bearing her most divine Son with her in her heart, and this was a sight furnishing new joy and jubilee for the blessed. The joy of seeing the blessed sacrament thus honored by the angels was a recompense for the gross negligence of mortals in venerating the sacred body of the Lord. And as such, the Blessed Lady also offered up the worship and reverence of the celestial spirits, who knew how to estimate this mystery and venerated it without fail or negligence. 130. Sometimes the body of her son manifested itself to her openly within her, 
at other times with all the beauty of this most holy humanity. At other times and almost continually were made known to her all the miracles contained in the most august sacrament. All these wonders and many others which we cannot understand in this corruptible life most holy Mary enjoyed, sometimes becoming manifest to her in themselves, sometimes in the abstractive vision of the divinity. And with the images of the divinity were present to her also all that she was to do for herself and for all the church. What was most consoling to her was to perceive the joy and pleasure of her divine Son in remaining sacramentally present in her sincerest heart, which, without a doubt, according to what was made known to me, was greater than to be in the company of the saints. O extraordinary, singular, and exalted privilege! Thou by thyself wert more pleasing to the Creator than the high heavens. He had made for his habitation... Psalm 113.16, He who cannot be contained in those illimitable spaces measured and enclosed himself in thee alone and found a pleasant throne and resting place, not only in thy virginal womb, but in the immensity of thy capacious love. Thou alone wast a heaven from the first of thy existence, so that God lived in thee after he gave thee being and shall rest in thee in fullest delight through all the ages of his eternity. Let all the nations know thee. For in thee they know and praise their God and Redeemer, since through thee alone he has visited us and repaired our unfortunate fall. Luke one sixty-eight, one Who of mortals or even of the angels can describe the conflagration of love burning in the purest heart of this great queen so full of wisdom? Who can comprehend the impetus of the river of the divinity which inundated and absorbed the city of God? Psalm 44, 5. What aspirations and acts of virtue did she not enter into while exercising the measureless gifts of grace showered upon her? What prayers and petitions did she not send forth for the Holy Church? What entrancements of love for us did not overwhelm her? What gifts did she not merit and obtain for us? Only the author of this prodigy could know them. But let us, on our part, raise our hopes, enliven our faith, and incite our love in union with this kind mother. Let us solicit her intercession and assistance, since he who is her son and our brother will deny nothing to her whom he has singled out for his love, as I have described and will describe further on. Instruction which the Queen of the Angels, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 132. My daughter, thou hast so far been well informed of my life and activity, considering that thou art a mere creature. Besides me, there is no other created being which thou canst better use as thy model and original for thy greater holiness and perfection. But now thou hast entered upon the description of the supreme state of virtue reached by me in mortal life. This favor should oblige thee to renew thy desires and direct all the attention of thy faculties toward the perfect imitation of all that I teach thee. It is time, my dearest, and there is reason that thou deliver thyself entirely over to my will and what I seek of thee, in order that thou mayest animate thyself to the attainment of this blessing. I wish thee to take notice that, though the species of the sacrament are consumed, my divine Son, whenever souls receive him with reverence and fervor and prepare him a pure and ardent heart, remains with them special graces, by which he assists them, enriches, and directs them in return for their hospitality. Few are the souls who partake of this blessing, because many knowing of it approach the holy sacrament without the proper disposition, as if by haphazard or habit, and without being solicitous for the reverence and holy fear due to it. 
But as thou art now informed of this secret, I desire that, since by the orders of thy superiors thou receivest it every day, thou prepare thyself worthily each time, and thus partake of this great blessing. One thirty-three. For this end thou must avail thyself of the remembrance of what I did, and by it regulate thy aspirations, thy fervor, thy love, and all that is necessary to prepare thy heart as a temple and a habitation of thy spouse and highest king. Labor, then, to collect all the powers within thyself, before and after receiving, observe all that pertains to the fidelity of a spouse, and especially must thou place a guard over thy eyes and a watch over all thy senses, in order that no profane or foreign image may enter into the temple of the Lord. Keep thy heart entirely pure and unspotted, for when it is impure preoccupied, the plenitude of the divine light and wisdom cannot enter. Wisdom one four. All this thou wilt know from what God has shown thee, if thou hast attended to it with an upright purpose, even supposing that thou canst not exempt thyself from all intercourse with creatures. It is befitting that thou hold thy senses in great subjection, and that thou do not permit them to introduce the image of any sensible thing by which thou wouldst not be assisted in striving after the most holy and pure of virtue. Separate the precious from the worthless, the truth from deceit, in order that thou mayest imitate me perfectly. I wish that from now on thou attend to the choice thou art to make in all things, great or small, so that thou err in none, perverting the order of divine light. 134. Consider attentively the common deception of mortals and the willful damage they suffer. For in the decisions of their will they ordinarily are moved solely by what they perceive through the senses, and they immediately proceed to act upon their choice without further consideration or counsel. Since the sensible impressions immediately move the animal passions and inclinations, it is evident that men do not act according to right reason, but according to the impulse of passion excited by the senses and their objects. Hence, he that considers only the injury and pain caused is straightway moved to vengeance. He that follows only his hankering after strange property as soon as he lays his eyes upon it is impelled to injustice. In the same manner act so many unfortunates, who follow the concupiscence of the eyes, the movements of the flesh, and the pride of life, because these are the only things offered by the world and the devil." In their blind deception they follow darkness as their light, taste the bitter as sweet, take deadly poison for remedy of their souls, and hold that for the wisdom which is nothing but diabolical and earthly ignorance. Do thou guard thyself against these pernicious errors, and never resolve on anything or govern thyself by anything that is merely sensible or arising from sensible impressions, nor pursue the advantages held out through them. In thy actions take counsel, first of all, from the interior knowledge and light communicated to thee by God, in order that thou mayest not go blindly forward. And he shall always grant thee sufficient guidance. Immediately seek the advice of thy superiors and teachers, if thou canst do so, before making thy choice. And if thy superior or teacher is not at hand, seek counsel of others, even inferiors. For this is more secure than to follow thy own will, which may be disturbed and blinded by passion." This is the rule to be followed, especially in the exterior works, pursuing them with recollection, with secrecy, and according to the demands of circumstances and fraternal charity as they occur. In all of them, it is necessary not to lose out of the sight the north star of interior light, while moving in the profound gulf of the intercourse with creatures where there is continual danger of perishing. This concludes our reading today for day number 294. 
We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 8, Paragraphs 126 to 134. One of the things that Our Lady wants to do is she wants to safeguard our souls. She wants to protect our souls. Her desire as a mother for her children is for us to arrive at the gates of heaven, that after her life of advocacy for us, we will gain eternal life. And then we hear then in the instruction today, in the paragraph 134, that sometimes people act in a way that is not in accord with God. In the same manner act so many unfortunates who follow the concupiscence of the eyes, the movements of the flesh, the pride of life, because these are the only things offered by the world and the devil. In their blind deception they follow darkness as their light, taste the bitter as sweet, take deadly poison for remedy of their souls. So we see these things in the world and they're attractive and we seek after them, we follow them, but then they're not doing good for our soul. And so instead of having our concupiscence of eyes and the movements of the flesh and the pride of life, well, we want humility. We want to not give in to sinful inclinations. We want to be pure of mind, heart, and soul. And if thy superior teacher is not at hand, seek counsel of others, even inferiors, for this is more secure than to follow thy own will which may be disturbed and blinded by passion, Mary tells Maria Vagrida. So to realize that our will at times may be tainted, so then we look to the spiritual guidance of others who might be able to guide us and lead us in a more holy manner. We allow Our Lady to be our teacher. She says that we have her as our great example, that she is our model and the original for thy greater holiness and perfection. And so let us strive to mold ourselves into the likeness of Our Lady, who lived a life pleasing to God. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you. And Mary, pray for you.